Hello and welcome into another edition of Not Just Another Sports Podcast. It is just me today, Price Carter, coming at you with Lucas Mur- Murphy of the Beat of KC. We are talking Royals and only Royals today. So if you came here for NFL content, bad news for you. We're just baseball today, but in honor of opening day coming up, it is time to lock in on the Kansas City Royals and baseball as a whole. Um, we are super excited and lucky to have Lucas on. Lucas is one of my favorite guys to talk Royals with. He was on with us right around when the season ended before free agency started. There's been a lockout. There's been um, some big signings. There's been a lot of change, obviously, that's happened with the Royals. But first off, Lucas, give you a second. Where all can we find your work at? Holy smokes. Hopefully you got enough time for this. Uh, so KCSportsReport.com is a new website where you're going to find a lot of kind of uh, new material, I guess you could say. Um, a gentleman, Michael Darcy, asked me to join up over there. So you're going to get a lot of kind of mixed Royals, Chiefs, everything over there. Uh, for As far as truly getting Royals content, um, I do Inside the Royals for Fan Nation. Um, and that's a big source for you're going to get a lot of in-depth Royals coverage. And um, that's honestly where I write the most about the Royals. And then Jacob Milham and myself, who also writes for Inside the Royals, started a podcast uh, called Royals Rundown, and we've had uh, multiple Royals players come on, um, Tyler Zuber being the headliner right now, um, and really we just talk baseball. We also have other analysts on, and um, it's been a blast, man. I love love having that podcast and doing that podcast just because it's so in-depth with, with baseball, so those are really kind of the main places you can find me, and then uh, this is obviously a <laughs> a KU uh, blast, but if you're a KU fan, head over to Blue Wings Rising. It's a new uh, fan nation site as well, and you can uh, get a lot of uh, KU stuff over there. One, I am subscribing to the Royals Rundown right now because I want to hear you talk to Jacob Milham, and two, I am forbearing you t- from talking about KU basketball ever <laughs> on this podcast. There will be none of it. That's why I put it at the end. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll glance over that and act like it didn't happen. We might have to bleep it out like an obscenity, but we are here to talk about the Royals. Um, so an offseason for the Royals that, the la- to me, the lack of movement from the Royals said a lot about what they are planning to do, if that makes sense. The inactivity was actually activity. I thought it was going to be an interesting season offseason because this was going to kind of tip their hand as to what they thought they have and what their plans are going forward and short to me the lack of inactivity really just kind of shows that they still think they're a year away and I I think I think that's probably the right thing Um, with it being a small market we know that the spending is always going to be a little bit more limited so there wasn't really a bunch of things for them to just put in a stopgap now with that being said next year if the core is what we think it is, they really do need to go all in. Um, but what were, you know, even though there weren't a lot of signings or trades for per se, what were some of the things that you took away from the offseason and what they have right now? You know, I think you said it perfectly. For me, I wasn't expecting a whole lot of moves because I really think that they're going to start building from that farm system up. And I think what moves needed to happen happened very, very early on. We saw Michael Taylor sign his deal pretty quickly. Um, we didn't see any movement of like, you know, Santana or any of that stuff. So I really like where we're sitting. Um, and there is a huge, huge versatility on this on this roster. I mean, everyone seems like they can play a different position, and I think that's unique. Um, but honestly, man, I think uh, Zach Grinke coming back to Kansas City was a big one for me. 
uh, I think that kind of is an important piece to really help with this young pitching staff, which we'll talk about. But um, for me, that was a huge offseason signing. Plus, with the way the offseason went, man, I mean, we were in a lockout and we didn't even know if we were going to have baseball. So um, I think maybe some things could have been a little bit different. Uh, I think they might have wanted to address the bullpen a little bit more. But because the the lockout occurred for so long and how long it extended into what could have been the regular season, I think they've just been kind of satisfied with some of the options that they they signed. Yeah, um, I'll have to say that there were some things that frustrated me about what they've done. Um, Mainly for me, the Michael A. Taylor thing still kind of frustrates me just because I think you're, and let's just go and kind of get into the lineup now. The problem with this lineup is that you've got three number nine hitters, in my opinion. And I, you know, if you take any one of these players out on their own, you can justify them having a nine hitter by saying, well, every team's got a nine hitter. Even the Dodgers have a nine hitter, but the problem is is that they have three. Mm -hmm. And like, I, you know, Michael A. Taylor is a guy that you can certainly justify having in the lineup for his defense. But to me, he's a fourth outfielder on a good team. He's a guy that comes in for a defensive replacement. He can have a clutch pinch hit or, you know, comes off the bench if someone gets injured. But he's the guy that you want backing up your star center fielder or a guy who, you know, is carrying some weight out there, carrying some lumber. And, you know, for a guy who, for the most part, you know, has got a little bit of pop, but has never got a good on base percentage and he's really streaky. He's a defensive first guy. And I know some old crusty scout will tell you that having a good center fielder just means so much for a young pitching staff. And I'm here to tell you if the pitching staff is so frail that a drop ball in center field is going to destroy their confidence. They've already, they're already a failure. Um, Which given how some of the Royals pitchers performed at some, some points mentally, I'm not sure maybe that's true, but yeah, the Michael A. Taylor thing, um, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe that's what their plan is, is that he's a fourth outfielder going, for, going forward. I can't remember. Was it a, I think it was just a two or three year deal, wasn't it? Three year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, it's whatever, you know, it, it's not, it's not a huge deal. I don't think it's handicapping them. Um, I don't think it's handicapping them as much as the Hunter Dozier deal is right now. And I mean, I have to admit, I remember when that deal was signed, I was, in favor of it. I said, I really liked it. I thought it made sense because they were kind of getting him at a cheaper time. Cause I believe they signed him in the, like during COVID time, like around 2020. Well, he, he was, a, he was okay. coming off of 2019 when he had his best year. I mean, he really did put a phenomenal year together in 2019. And, and I actually have a piece coming out on in, inside the Royals tomorrow on Hunter Dozier. And what was surprising is he led all MLB in 2019 and triples with 10. Um, he really did click. And I think from that year, they were like, Hey, if he continues in this trajectory, uh, he's going to cost a lot more. So I think they ended up, like you said, locking him up in 2020. Um, but yeah, uh, that's one that, uh, definitely is, um, kind of like that teeter totter, like, you know, you kind of lean some ways because you're like, well, there was potential. We did go through a pandemic. Uh, he did have a, hand injury that transitioned into a thumb injury that really kind of hindered him at the plate. Um, So I think what also kind of hinders him too, is that there's a lot of very talented 
pieces that are coming up in the same positions that he plays and they're coming up quickly and they're performing better than he is right now. So, um, but yeah, I'll let you continue on with your, with your lineup, but I just wanted to kind of hit on that. No, no, you're right. And I, I remember I was looking at his baseball reference page and I was like, what is this bold? Cause you know, when it's bold or italicized, you're like, Oh, yeah. this is leads the leads all of baseball. And I was like, triples, how did, how did this happen? Usually that's a faster guy. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I think that he's a guy who's running out. Of, and I mean, this is true of the light up a lot. There's a lot of places that the Royals are running out of guys to play. And sometimes that's, you know, that's a really good problem. And sometimes I wonder if it's not kind of on their own doing. Um, I, the, whether you're looking at fan graphs or baseball reference, they despise Hunter Dozier's defense at third, at third base. Yeah. Um, to me, the, to me, the most, the two most glaring issues with the lineup and how it's constructed as far as where people are playing is I truly believe that something needs to change in the middle infield with, I mean, we're at this point where I, I have literally seen people already name Bobby Witt to the hall of fame, which is just, I mean, like, can we, can we just possibly tamper, tamper the expectations just a little bit? Cause if he comes out and it's two eighteen for the first month, everyone's going to go, what's wrong with them. But um, nevertheless, between Bobby Wood at third, which I hate, hate him playing third. He's the star. He's the number one prospect in baseball. And we've got to move him for a good old 60 game modesty with an on-base percentage of like 260. And then Lopez, I, truthfully what i think needs to happen is i think that i would like to see bobby witt at short oh because i think he, and the other thing is is that they've come out and I, I don't disagree with it they've come out and said that Monacy is not playing every day that he's going to be like a two days on one day off i don't want them changing in and out of shortstop shortstop to me should be a guy who plays every day or darn near next to it and we know that that's what this organization liked to do for all the years with escobar mm-hmm. so i i think that Put Witt at short, put Lopez at second. You can run Hunter Dozier out at third. I know Melendez has played some third. I don't know how his defense is. And then to me, Mondesi needs to start, or actually, I guess you could do Witt at third, Lopez at short, and put Bob, uh, too many wits, oh, yeah. uh, Witt Merrifield at second. And that's probably where his bat plays the best. Yeah. The one thing, and you can tell me, I, I will fully confess, I have not had a chance to watch any spring training games. Are we, with Bobby Wood at third base, are we talking like a Manny Machado level defender over there? Or is it just fine? Is he more Rafael Devers who kind of boots the ball around a little bit? And I think you're going to have a very elite, I mean, you're talking about one of the best defenders at shortstop. And when you transition to third base, the ball gets to you quicker, but there's less mobility. Obviously you have to have quicker twitch muscles, but you're not going to have to move and range as much. I think he's going to be a very talented defender at third base. And um, I mean, I think plugging him in there is not a bad option. I think uh, for him to even get to the major leagues, if that truly is what they believe, like Mondesi has the capabilities of playing shortstop, then yeah, we need to get Witt Jr. up here because he's, he's well surpassed anything he's going to learn or build on in the minor leagues. He needs to get up here and start basically creating that resume at the major league level. And I do think that his his talents are going to really kind of shine at third base. And then when he transitions over to shortstop, our jaws are just going to hit the floor even more because we're going to really see those like Jeter type like plays in the hole 
you're going to see um, the ability to really kind of handle the ball like Escobar used to, where it was just almost flawless type of defense. Um, I mean, Bobby Wood Jr. is a very we, – we look at him because of his bat. We see everything he's done with his bat. But, I mean, there's plays in the minor leagues that have been highlighted by Omaha and Double uh, A Northwest Arkansas where he's laid out into the outfield and made catches and then just have done some incredible things. Like, I think you're talking about a future gold glover easily. Um, and he could potentially win it at third base too. I mean, that's something to definitely consider. Uh, consider. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to kind of give you, if you don't mind, I'm going to give you my projected lineup. And then um, because I think what they put the other day for the, for spring training, I think truly is what is going to be the starting lineup. Um, so they did stick with Merrifield and right field. I think that happens. Unfortunately, I think that he's upset about that. He really didn't voice his, the other night on the broadcast, he didn't sound too enthusiastic about it, but it is what it is. Um, so Witt's leading off. And then you got Bobby Witt Jr. In, in the two-hole. Originally, a lot of people believed he was going to be down in the eight-hole. I think that is the worst spot for him, uh, especially with his ability. I'd put him in the two-hole. We saw it today. Witt Merrifield hits a double. Uh, Witt Jr. hits a single, scores him. It's, the Royals are already up one to zero. It can happen that easy. Uh, Salvador Perez hitting three hole. I like that too. I could easily flip him and Ben Attendee, but Ben Attendee sitting in four in the four hole with uh, playing left field. Uh, Santana, I like that where he's at only because he does draw a lot of walks um, and he is a switch hitter. So that is a good spot for Santana. I don't envision him being there for the entire season. We can have that conversation another time. Uh, I think eventually you're going to see Prado and maybe Vinny P coming up and filling that spot. Dozier DHing. Um, I'm kind of excited for this. I think Dozier has has to respond this year. If he doesn't respond, I think he's gone. So I I, I think he's going to feel the pressure, but I think it'll be in a good way. Um, and he's had a phenomenal spring training, like just absolutely raking the baseball, um, doing phenomenal things. So I expect Dozier to kind of perform. Mondi, Taylor, Lopez. And then I do think the opening day starter is going to be Zach Greinke. Yeah, I I definitely think that that's, I mean, especially since spring training has been shorter this year, I think that it's really good to kind of glean what lineup they're throwing out there. Yeah. And I definitely think that your reasoning on all those makes sense as far as, you know, I know a lot of times they like to go left, right, and stack those guys with their switch hitters. Um, and I, I do like Mondesi hitting down more. Um, they, for the longest time, tried to pigeonhole him as a top of the lineup guy. Um, you know, as far as Bobby Witt hitting second, I, here's my thing. It, I cannot remember the last guy that came up for the Royals and just hit the ground running. It just seems to never happen. We're always, ha you know, even if you go back to like Hosmer and Moose, those guys had their ups and downs. It's, the Royals are due for a guy who comes up and hits the ground running. You know, someone who just takes off. I'm really hoping that putting him in the, in the two slot, which is, you know, that's where the analytics say that's where the best hitter in the lineup hits. They get the most at bats. They get to see men on base. That's where Mike Trout hits. That's, that's where you want them at. So um, I definitely think that that's where I, I want him to be hitting at. I don't know about him starting there, but then again, if, if this is the guy, which by all, by all uh, reports he is, then yeah, I, I think that that makes sense. Um, one thing, I, the other thing that I think is kind of interesting is the kind of triangle between Carlos Santana, Salvador Perez, 
and Hunter Dozier. Um, I, Hunter, I liked the Carlos Santana signing on its surface because, again, kind of like the Hunter Dozier thing, you're kind of buying a stock at its low point. And he does do something that a lot of Royals players don't do, and he gets on base. I'm super pessimistic about his ability to stay healthy and whether his bat's going to play anymore. I personally would have liked to see the Chiefs keep, and they've already optioned Melendez down uh, to AAA camp. I would have liked to see him be on the roster as a second catcher and them start working him into the lineup as a catcher. So maybe Salvador, because I mean, you know, that was the thing that all the nerds said that Salvador Perez's home runs didn't count because he had like a half of them at DH. I would just like to see Salvador Perez start playing first base some and DHing some and catching maybe two or three times a week and start working Melendez into that role with the pitching staff. And maybe he gets a couple of pitchers. Like maybe he exclusively catches Daniel Lynch and Brady Singer or whatever. I, I always really like that. Like back when Yordano Ventura was pitching, Drew Butera was his guy, which I always thought was so funny because, you know, him and Salvador Perez both, both spoke Spanish. But nevertheless, um, you know, that that whole triangle there and then how Hunter Dozier fits in there, like I would be okay if you told me like, hey, Hunter Dozier, first base is yours. You, you know, it's yours for the keeping for this year until, you know, we start, we bring up Nick Prado. And I think Prado is going to be the guy who probably comes up last of the three because his numbers were kind of more of a flash in the plant pan than anyone else. And to me, he's also got the guy, the swing and miss there is probably the highest potential for him to struggle when he comes up, when he starts seeing the breaking balls and stuff a lot more. Yeah, I man, I I'm a big fan of MJ Melendez. I think he's very, very special. Um just seeing him the other night in spring training, holy smokes, his ability to hit up the middle is is something you really want to want to see. And he's doing that easy. I think he it was a pitch up and in um about mid 90s, maybe 96 possibly too. And he just squares it up and sends it right back up the middle. And um, I definitely think he's ready. <clears throat> I think the toughest thing for him, though, is – and this is going to be the biggest issue or concern that I have with this team is from playing baseball myself, you want to get into a routine. And the biggest thing is getting into a routine at the plate. If these guys are taking days off and they're having to focus on what position in the field they're playing – I get that these are professional athletes. These are professional baseball players, but that still affects you. If I have to figure out which glove I need to take to the field every day, um, I need to figure out where I'm hitting in the lineup every day. Uh, those things kind of start to play on you. And then you have to worry about, you know, hey, stepping in the box and, and, and you know, hitting and doing things like that. I'm hoping that they can finally, you know, find a very consistent lineup and let these guys just go play because that's kind of what Hunter Dozier has been lacking is consistency. That's what Ryan O'Hearn has been lacking other than some, some skill set. you know, he's lacking the consistency. And so I think that if these guys can get on a consistent basis, get out there and play the game of baseball, then I think you'll start to see a lot more productivity from them. Um, but I think that's also, if they don't, if they do start to fail like a Carlos Santana, like a Hunter Dozier, those are the guys that are, easily going to be replaced with some of this young talent that's just chomping at the bit to get up here. So part of me wants them to do well, because I think if they're doing well, the Royals are going to have a very tremendous season. Um, and I would think that they would compete for the central, but if they're struggling, then we're also going to see some of this young talent come up and we're going to be able to go to the ball field and be like, 
oh, MJ Melendez is playing today. This person's playing today. Like, we're going to be excited for that. So I'm kind of torn, but that's really kind of where I'm at with, I think that we're such at a competitive level and there's so much depth that is ready to get to the major league level that I think it's going to be hard for this organization to really kind of hold those guys back, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, they almost play like a, a National League team would back when they didn't have the DH, right? Like it was just, you know, I remember when I when I first really started to get into baseball in 2012 or so, showing my age a little bit. But that, um, you know, I used to look at teams like the Cardinals and the Giants and the Dodgers. And, you know, I was always just taken aback by like how much change was in the lineup from day to day because of the lack of a DH. Whereas like the 2015 Royals, I could still recite the lineup in order that like ran out there after the all-star break. You know, it was just, you know, you knew the guys and they knew where they were playing every day. And baseball managers are mostly useless, but they do manage personalities and they'll tell you that that, that matters to those guys. And, you know, David Ortiz always knows he's hitting fourth, you know, and that he knows every single day that that's where he lines up at. And I, and I do think that it's hard for them to get consistency defensively as well. I mean, we saw Whit Merrifield, he started out in the outfield early in the season last year and then really kind of struggled with the transition back to second base because he didn't get a lot of time there. So I do think that they do need to find their guys. And, you know, you mentioned the Dan Sorensen of the Royals, which is uh, Ryan O'Hearn the below replacement level player that always has like pictures of someone and cannot be removed from the team. But uh, you know, like, yeah, like why is that? Those are the things that frustrate me because why is, why is Ryan O'Hearn still getting value at bats when we have like three or four guys who are first baseman DH types. And I get the manipulation of the service time when it comes to MJ Melendez and Nick Prado, because they're probably not finishing first and second in AL MVP voting or rookie of the year voting. Um, so the manipulation there makes sense. Um, one thing before we get to the pitching staff, this is something we, um, right when the Zach Greinke news broke, there was also like Frankie Montas rumors hanging out there, which is something that I would really like. There was a quote and I'm quoting someone else's quote. So this is like fourth hand news at this time, but Seren Petro interviewed, he's on MLB network and I cannot remember his name. He used to be the GM of the, the Orioles. Um, and he does a lot of their like broadcasts and stuff on like XM, MLB Network and stuff like that. But former GM, and he said there comes a time that minor that small market teams always have to make a trade that hurts, mm -hmm. a trade that you send valuable prospects, things that you you value, to get something back in return. And every once in a while, a, a franchise like that has to make those trades. Now you've got teams like the Rays who literally don't value anything, but they'll just like ship off Blake Snell or Tyler Glass now or whatever. They'll just, the next guy up. But I think that the Royals are absolutely entering that phase. And I think that the trade deadline this year could actually be the time that they make that move because we've seen the, the off season for baseball really, really kind of shift to where it's very slow and drawn out and we haven't had the team meetings like we used to, where we used to get the flurry of activity. And there's more activity at the deadline. I really think that the trade deadline is where we see those moves. It could be a Frankie Montas. It could be, a, you know, a move for a proven bat or something like that. But I, I really think for this lineup to start coming together, they're a superstar or two away. And maybe, you know, maybe it is an, a, a true ace. 
you know, like if, I mean, I'm just throwing names out, but if like Jacob deGrom or someone like that could come over here, I mean, that's the thing that you look at this and go, okay, that takes this from a good roster to a great roster. And one of the guys that like comes to mind, my mind right away that people might get weird out by, but if, if Monacy is hitting well and staying healthy, you have to consider, I mean, he would be a big part of a package for a team that's looking to, to rebuild. I don't think that DeGrom's probably a bad example because they just signed Scherzer. So they're probably not thinking like, Hey, what, what's like a rebuild, but I mean, there's always teams looking for that. And I, I really think that this team needs to make the, that type of mood via trade. And then also a big free agency move next year to really put themselves up with the White Sox. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because, um, I'm a huge Edward Olivares fan, absolutely killing it and raking in, in spring training. I'm a huge Kyle Isbell fan doing tremendous in spring training. You know, one thing to, to pay attention to is they've yet to sign Andrew Benatendi uh, to any kind of long-term deal yet. Um, maybe that's a move that we see that could, he could get traded, you know, um, maybe he's, they've talked long-term deals and maybe he's just not interested in being in Kansas city. They really didn't give up a whole lot to acquire him. Um, so maybe they get something big in return by adding Andrew Benatendi, who has really kind of had a big spring training himself. I do agree with the Raul, or with the Aldalberto Mondesi. I always say Raul. Um, I do agree with Mondesi, though. I mean, you have Bobby Witt Jr. right there. And if he truly is going to be this Patrick Mahomes of baseball, then he definitely needs to get to the spot where he was drafted for. And, and the intention is to get him to shortstop. Um, I'm a huge fan of Whit Merrifield, but maybe that's the move as well. Um, because if he's clogging a gap in right field, I just mentioned two names that can easily plug that. And and, and, the, and the other one that hurts, but it might be true. I mean, you've got a catcher that you think could have 40 home run potential, and you've got another catcher on the roster that just hit 48 home runs. How like how big of an addition would a player like Salvador Perez be to a team that thinks are really close? You know, if the Padres, if the Padres are right there with the Dodgers and they think that this is their year and they can get a haul, although I swear I'm never doing another deal with the Padres. They fleece us every time it feels like, but you know, like I know that that's hard because we're very sentimental about Salvador Perez, but I mean, like, look at like the reunion that the Cardinals are getting with Albert Pujols. Like you can always come back, you know, and that he could be, he could be a piece and that sort of thing. I don't think that the Royal, one thing that I know for a fact is that the Royals care about that stuff. And I don't think that Salvador Perez is ever wearing another jersey except for an all-star jersey. But I could completely see that. Yeah, and, you know, I think for me, though, I think you're going to see Melendez get traded before you would see Salvi. Um, I think that how baseball values players is uh, they value the potential, very similar to, like, the NBA. Like, a player may not perform to its highest ability yet, but they see the potential. That's exactly how baseball is because, um, that, you know, like they see what Melendez could become. He could become this. And so I think there's a lot more value. You would probably be able to get a much bigger haul by including a Melendez into a trade. Um, I, I just – I don't want that to happen. I personally have gone through – man, I've been, I've been a Royals fan ever since I was a kid, and I've gone through the 90s. I've gone through the 2000s when – when I was in college and it's, you know, until we got to those runs in the late two thousands, um, you know, it was, it was struggle. It was a struggle to go out there, but 
Um, I think now we're starting to see all this young talent start to come up. It's, this is what we work for as, a, as an organization. You work to get these guys to this level, to bring them up and perform at the highest level possible. And you're seeing them do well. It's not like they're struggling or they're just scrapping to get to the majors. Like these guys are doing everything they possibly can to get there and, and they're ready. Um, and so I'm excited for them to get there. And I just don't want to get rid of them. I've, you want to build a team. I get that you need pitching and you need to have that ace because we are lacking that. We truly are. There's not an ace on this team. Like Grinky is an ace, but he's well past his prime. Um, and I don't see an ace as of right now in the young pitching staff. Like everybody thought Brady Singer was going to be this all world ace. No, the guy struggles, uh, still hasn't developed that third pitch. I don't care what anybody says. He still struggles to throw it. Um, so I think that there still is a lot of, of room to go with the pitching staff. I think the bullpen will be very solidified with these young guys throwing flames. But um, as far as the starting rotation, out of everything, that's what concerns me the most. And so I do think that that's probably going to be something that they address, like you said, at the trade deadline. Man, if they go get Frankie Montas, because the moment I heard that, I immediately kind of had to stop what I was doing and just process that. I mean, that is a huge, huge young addition. And he is, he's elite. I mean, he truly is. And he's just played with a team that he really hasn't been exposed yet. So uh, I think Montas would be a huge addition. He would easily, you know, be the headliner of this rotation. And then maybe that's what you need to kind of help these like Daniel Lynch's along and um, you know, whoever else can come up and, because I don't, I think John Heasley is a good addition to this rotation. He just needs to get more opportunity. I think Singer needs to go to the bullpen, but Bubich is a good option in the in the rotation. I think he he's going to surprise a lot of people this year. Um, and so I know we're going to talk about the rotation, so I'll let you get there. Well, <clears throat> I, I think you know going back to the Frankie Montas thing. I think the thing that I like the most about him is that he's a horse. And as yes. far as a pitcher goes for a modern day MLB pitcher, 187 innings pitched last year. And I love the K per nine as well. Um, looking at 6.4 strikeouts per nine, um, really good peripherals there. Obviously last year is definitely the, you know, the best season that he's had. Um, but I mean, he, he also had a 2.63 ERA and 3.88 in 19 and 18. Um, and the FIP looks good as well. The whip does as well. So like the peripherals kind of line up with the performance and then you don't have to worry about the AL NL thing anymore. And then also the dump in Oakland is fairly comparable in size to uh, Kaufman. So there's a lot to like there. And I don't know that it would cost as much as we think it would, as far as prospects go. I, those are always tough. And the A's are one of those teams that I feel like frequently trade with us. So we know their guys and they know our guys. Like I swear the A's every year take like three or four twos, tools, the outfielders. And like, I will just flip into the Royals for whatever we need at the deadline or whatever. But yeah, I mean, Montas makes a lot of sense going, going into the pitching staff a little bit. I, here's the thing. I, one of the things that Dayton Moore said whenever he took over this organization, which make, make no doubt he still runs this organization um, was that pitching is the currency of baseball. You know, we, we know they came from the Braves and all of that. He talks about that. And I sincerely believe that the Royal, despite what my skepticism of the Royals pitching staff, I still have a lot of hope for what they've built because we know that this team can develop pitchers into relievers. And I absolutely believe that between, you know, Daniel Lynch, um, 
Carlos Hernandez, Brady Singer, all the guys that they have. They have, I mean, they have so many young pitchers and I'm like forgetting some of their names. But um, I do believe that between there, there's at least two or three starters. Because here's the thing too that, and this again goes back to the, how the Royals farm system has struggled. Someone like Carlos Hernandez is what the Cardinals get occasionally, right? Like I always look at the Cardinals, damn it, as uh, like a, a model organization for baseball because they've just been good forever. They've never been terrible. Yeah, they haven't won a World Series in a while. They're just good all the time. And they will always have some like stupid person that just comes up that you've never heard of that's not some Herald prospect and then like does really well for them, whether it be a pitcher or a hitter. And the Royals have really struggled with that since Whit Merrifield and Whit Merrifield's kind of the anomaly. So like you get these guys like Carlos Hernandez. I, I do feel confident, like, you know, the math says that someone between like Daniel Lynch or Brady Singer or Chris Bubich or Asa Lacey or all these guys isn't going to pan out. One of them will just be a complete bust numbers wise. But like, you know, I'm here for Brady Singer closing out games in 2024. And I, I think he has the the attitude for it and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I, I think of the guys and you this is, you, you know, this is kind of where you can get into your opinion about this. I think of the guys right now, the person that is still has the highest upside is probably Daniel Lynch. Um, just some weird stuff last year with Jackson Kowar and Daniel Lynch and kind of how they came in and performed. It was just like, it was like they were inside their head a little bit. It's kind of like Danny Duffy esque. Um, but I mean, which of the young pitchers and I don't think, I don't think we'll see Asa Lacey this year. Um, there's, and I know there's a couple of guys that are, there's one guy that is coming back from injury who they have some pretty high hopes for as well. So who are you most optimistic about for the pitching staff? And like you said, though, there's so much depth, uh, even that trickles into the minor leagues, like Jonathan Bolins, I think the one that you might've been talking about. Um, there's still Alec Marsh. There's so many guys that are, you know, I haven't even mentioned down in the minors that are, you know, ready to roll. Uh, for me though, I think my most excited is Carlos Hernandez. I think just seeing the raw ability to throw a baseball that hard and then just kind of have multiple pitches to follow with it. Um, we saw him kind of struggle in the beginning, but when he really clicked, uh, it, he was special. I think when it comes to an actual drafted, um, like work through the system, I think Daniel Lynch is it for me. Um, lefty, just nasty, uh, throws, you know, mid nineties. And he's come out and said that he's learning a lot from Zach Greinke, and I think that's important. Um, you know, one that I think is kind of a long shot, but I still think there's a bright side. And you mentioned it is the head case stuff is Jackson Coar. I think Coar still has a a lot in the tank, um, and I think that that changeup is undeniably something that's just disgusting. And uh, if he can figure out how to really locate and um, you know work hitters in the major league level. I think he could end up being a very back good back end piece to a rotation um, that wins you pretty, you know, wins you some ball games. So it's just going to be, I think that's the, the toughest situation for the Royals is they created such the perfect storm because they've, they invested so much into their minor leagues and, you know, they probably figured some of them are going to pan out, but a lot of them have really kind of developed and have earned a way to get to the spot. And now they have to make a decision. And I think you might start to see some of that movement once they really start to compete. And um, Dave Moore even came out and said, it's time for these young guys to start going, young pitchers to start going. 
And so, you know, if Brady Singer struggles, maybe you see that transition to the bullpen. I mean, he has a filthy slider. His fat, or he really doesn't throw a fastball. It's more of a sinker. Um, and, and he can work that pitch pretty good. So he would do well in a bullpen. And, you know, you said it yourself too, like these guys, the, the Royals develop bullpen pieces. I mean, Scott Barlow, special, Josh Stalmont, special. Uh, you know, you're going to see some other guys start to come up. Dylan Coleman, who I'm a big fan of, Missouri State guy, throws absolute gas, uh, special talent. So you're going to see a pretty solid bullpen, in my opinion. In my opinion. Um, and I think that he's going to be, uh, you know, Dylan Coleman is going to be a special, special guy. So there, there's a lot that, honestly, it's just tough. It's tough with the, with the rotation because I think that they're loyal. They're very loyal. We see Dayton loyal to all those guys. And I think that he wants to give them an opportunity. Um, and so we'll just have to see how this plays out because I was banking on Mike Miner being in this rotation and they obviously make that trade, which is huge uh, to get Amir Garrett, man. Holy smokes. That is huge, huge deal. But, you know, I think uh, what you're looking at is Brad Keller is going to be in the rotation. I do believe Brady Singer is going to be in the rotation. Um, I think obviously Grinky is going to be your headliner. I think Daniel Lynch is in the rotation. And then uh, I think it's just going to be tough after that point because do they really want to overload with lefties? Do they want to throw Carlos Hernandez in there? Do they want to put him back to the bullpen? That's where I think that we're, as people looking from the outside in are going to have to really kind of wait and see just because I don't think there's a clear cut four or five. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, I'm almost wondering if they'll run a six man rotation. Well, the, what they actually always do is the beginning of the season starts so slow with all those days off. They really just run kind of a three or four man rotation mm -hmm. out there. I mean, I imagine that they will go Grinky at first and then probably, um, you know, Singer and then Lynch and then Coar, but then, you know, Bubich and Hernandez is where it starts getting interesting. Right. Um, I, you know, in some ways I think Bubich has definitely earned Bubich and Hernandez in some ways have earned the right more than Coar and Singer have. I mean, Singer was just infamous for having a good start and then just losing it all the first guy who got on base. Um, you know, I, I was interested about what you had to say about the Amir Garrett trade. Obviously, it was more or less a salary dump by the Reds. What they're doing is, I mean, thank God the CBA fixed tanking. Otherwise, the Reds wouldn't be doing what they're doing right now, right? But I, the Amir Garrett trade just did not fit with the rest of the season for me. You got a guy who, again, you're buying low on, he had some down seasons, but I mean, this guy's 29 years old. He's a bullpen pace. There's no real chance of him being a starter. He's had a couple of good seasons, which he definitely has. And yeah, he's a hard throwing lefty, which they like out of the pen, but I just, I don't really get it. Like, I, I just feel like there's 10 other people who could have given you what Amir Garrett's going to give you in the bullpen. And like, between, you know, you said it, between like Dylan Coleman, who pitched them last year and had some good numbers, you know, we know that um, Josh Stomont can close. We've seen, um, oh, what's his name? He was closed for quite a bit. You mentioned his name. Scott Barlow. Yeah, Scott Barlow. I, was, I could picture him. I couldn't say his name. Uh, like, there's so many guys in this pin, not even to mention, like, is Boobich going to be in the pin some? Do we see Coar, Singer? I I just, I just don't really get it. I mean, I guess they just look at it like, Hey, here's a way to acquire a good player and we don't have to give up much, but it didn't really make sense to me. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of Garrett. And I think maybe for his situation, he needed a change of scenery. 
Um, I mean, that, that can have an effect on, you know, a pitcher, a player. Um, I mean, they pitch in a sandbox of a stadium out there in Cincinnati. He throws hard, so you got to make contact. So home runs are going to be up. Um, I think he's coming to the perfect situation. I think that's the thing is if Amir Garrett went a lot other, any other place, I think it'd be kind of questionable. He's coming to, to one of the biggest ballparks in, in major league baseball. He's coming to a youthful bullpen that, you know, last year had Greg Holland, Wade Davis in it. And now you're seeing this absolute rejuvenation of youth and every single one of them throws just gas. And so he fits in with that. I think, what he also provides is a mentality, man. Um, you see him kind of fight people. He's gone after Baez multiple times. He's talked about it with Chris Rose on his podcast. Wasn't he? Wasn't he in that like back when Puig was on the red or on the? I can't remember. Like what was that big? <laughs> he fight took on that? the entire Pirates dugout. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember like someone made like an oil painting of that like screenshot of him like taking it on and like hang it in the lover like the yeah. picture of him fighting. And I also remember another one with Puig when he was on the Reds fighting all the pirates. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do think that he's kind of a moxie guy. I you know I I'm not one to like get super mad about it because I don't think it ultimately matters to the long term success of this team. But it just it just kind of puzzled me a little bit. Um, I'm trying to think as far as the pitching goes. Let's just address the Zach Greinke signing. I, you know, there's nothing to dislike about it. It's a one-year deal. There's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. I personally love bringing in Zach Greinke. I think at first, you know, a lot of people were kind of like, well, Zach Greinke is not the type of guy to really lead. But I think he's perfect because Zach Greinke, not that I've like hung out with him before, but we all know the stories. Like my favorite story is where like, I think it was like the Dodgers or the Angels back when he was on them. They had like a team only meeting, which is a huge deal in baseball. And everyone had something to say about how they were, should have been playing better than they were in the manager, you know, no manager or anything. And they asked Zach if he wanted to say something. And I mean, at that time, he was a, a perennial Cy Young guy, like, you know, one of the best pitchers in baseball. And they're all like, Zach's going to say something. Guy, guy, guys, like Zach's going to say something. He stands up. Everyone's paying attention to him. He says, been wanting to say this for a long time really bothers me that you guys don't wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. It's really gross. Especially if you go number two, you guys really should wash your hands. And that was it. Like they're, and like everyone was just shell shocked. Like, and that's just one of the Zach Greinke stories, but besides good hygiene, which is super important, Zach Greinke is the type of guy, like I remember hearing a story about how he went and uh, he went and showed Alex Gordon something. He said, hey, Alex, come take a look at this. And they go and look at the camera. And Zach Greinke was showing Alex Gordon how good <laughs> Zach Greinke hit at the plate. Like he was at an, in, in an NL game. He was like, check this out. Like, look at this. I lined this. I wrote this double. And like Alex thought he was going to be showed something. And then he showed him something where like pitchers were just like carving him up or something. He's like, yeah, this is like the holes in your swing or whatever. But like Zach Greinke is the type of person that will tell Brady Singer, he's like, yeah, dude, you, you suck because you throw two pitches. Like everyone can see you tip. Everyone can just see that sinker coming down or whatever. Like he's the type of guy who's going to do that. And like, you know, sometimes that's the best form of leadership is just like absolute, like non-existent sense of tact that does, yeah. that's not there. Like I, I think it, and I mean, we've seen some good stuff on the broadcast from like how he's already talking to guys. I, I think, I think it was a great signing. I, if I had to choose between him and Mike Miner, I'd take him every time. For sure. You know, and I think a lot of people talk about like how the NFL, 
the NFL signs guys. Perfect example is Tyron Matthew. Tyron Matthew's a leader on the field and blah, blah, blah. I think when it comes to baseball and specifically Major League Baseball, you need leaders. Like you need someone who's gone through it, has had success at the highest level, done it to the fullest. And then eventually they come back and they're educators, they're teachers, they're coaches. This is a perfect example of that. Zach Greinke has been elite. He's found ways to be elite throwing 88 miles an hour. He hits spots like he is Greg Maddox right now. And I think that's what's unique. And he can, you know, talk to these young guys and at least tell them, you know, how he did it. And like you said, there might be a hole or there might be an issue he sees with, you know, a mechanic of, uh, of how a pitcher's throwing. And he can address that because he's done it. And he's going to be raw about it, too. Like, he, he might tell Brady Singer, hey, you suck, man. But he might need that, too. And um, I think that this signing is, is more important than just Zach Greinke coming back to Kansas City. I think that they truly need – and then that's why I honestly agree with Amir Garrett coming. I think Amir Garrett is going to be like that in the bullpen, too. Like, he's going to tell those guys straight up how it is. And he's going to provide something that, you know – some of these other guys can't provide and that's leadership. And um, so I think both those, well, the trade and the signing are super, super significant. Yeah, man. I, and that was kind of when we talked in the off season, I was, and I have been all along really big on bringing Chris Bryant to the Royals, which also did not happen. He clearly chose money and went and signed with the Dodgers, which I mean, Edibles are great too, or not the Dodgers, the Rockies. Edibles are great too, so maybe maybe that was the line of thinking there. I'm not sure, um, but but it is very beautiful out there. But um, nevertheless, um, I I do think that they need some like, for lack of a better term, dogs out there, right? Like they got to have it, and I think Bobby Witt will be that guy too. You know, they always talk about bringing in clubhouse leaders, and one thing that I believe is true is that if you can ball, you can lead. Like back when Patrick Mahomes was taking over the uh, the Chiefs. At first, he was kind of one of those guys that I, I just didn't see the leadership from, not because not because of how young he was or anything like that, but he just didn't seem, I don't know if it was kind of, he's got a kind of a goofy voice or kind of how he presents himself on social media, but he didn't just seem like what we thought a leader was because we thought of like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and all those guys from the previous era. But it turns out like you make that play that he made against the 49ers in his first season as a starter, you can lead pretty quick. And People will rally around a guy who can who can ball and that old fart who used to be good, who tries to tell you how to do stuff now and you can't crack the Mendoza line like people stop listening to that guy, you know, and there are some guys that are so legendary like I'm sure Albert Pujols is adding something to the the Cardinals locker uh, clubhouse this year, but also I mean he still had some good good plate appearances with the Dodgers like he still got something left on the tank. He's probably slower than I am at this point, but, you know, he's hit a few more major league home runs than I have as well. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about the rest of the division, just because I think it's interesting going forward. Um, the Tigers still feel a couple years away, which is weird because they've entered, the Royals have won a World Series and since rebuilt, since the Tigers started the rebuild, because they started selling off in 2015, you know, they gave David Price to the, to the Blue Jays, part of, you know, what they did really kicked off their rebuild Verlander to the Astros. Um, I personally, when it comes to the twins have no clue what they're doing. If you look at the Carlos Correa deal, it really like, I really think Carlos Correa is going to be a twin for a couple of months. And if they're, you know, sucking, they're just going to flip them. That deal is almost 
like it's almost like they bought prospects for that deal. You know, clearly the White Sox are the class of the division. And I have to say the name, the Cleveland Guardians, just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Um, they are doing what they always do and not spending money, but then they will just run out a whiff of pitchers here in a year or so that are all like two or three Cy Young worthy guys. I think, I think the, I think the like window is definitely open for the Royals in the division. Clearly the White Sox are the team, but I don't know how much longer they're going to be able to kind of keep all the, all of that core together. So go, I, I think, you know, this year we can definitely agree that the White Sox are probably the favorites. Um, but kind of like, what do you think about the division this year and kind of going forward? What's the state of these teams and what phases are they in? Yeah, for sure. So for me, um, I'll kind of start this year. It, I think obviously you hit it perfectly. Like the White Sox are the team to be. And I mean, they've loaded it up that way. They they have very young talent, um, you know, Eloy Jimenez and and the list goes on and on. But they definitely went out and just loaded up with veteran bullpen pieces. And some of their starters are that way, like Dallas Keuchel. Like some of these guys are going to eventually, you know, peel off and fall off and injuries could happen too. So they're the forefront, but I think everything behind that is up for grabs. And that's why I think this is the Royals time to start taking advantage of that. And with the expanded playoffs, I still think that there's a, a shot that they could do it if they really connect. Um, you know, the, the Tigers, I feel, are exactly in the same position as the Royals. They've built up such a tremendous farm system. They have, at one point, they had the number one overall prospect, and now he's dropped down a little bit in Spencer Torkelson. Um, their pitching staff is the opposite of the Royals when it comes to success. You know, they got Casey Mize. They got, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on for their pitching staff. So, uh, I think that when it comes to longevity, it's going to be the Royals and the Tigers. The Twins are a huge question mark. Um, they went out and traded for Sonny Gray and gave up one of their most recent draft picks. Um, and he was just a complete stud. And his name is slipping off the top of my head right now. But um, I really don't know what they're doing. They, they make a move like that, but then they trade Josh Donaldson and they go out and get Gary Sanchez. and like all these just weird transitional moves and um, a guy that I talked to quite a bit who is a huge twins fan. He's even like, I, I have no idea what we're doing or what the state of this organization is going to be. Then they turn around and sign Carlos Correa and why he just decided to go to the twins when, I mean, I, I don't think he ever was going to get the money he wanted anyways. I think he's a good player, but um, he's not worth that much money in my opinion. And so for him to pick the twins was very questionable. I do agree that I think they're going to end up flipping them. And that's probably a part of the reason why he signed. They probably talked about that and were like, Hey, you know, if you're doing good and we're sucking, then we'll trade you to a comp competitor. Um, but honestly, man, I think for, and then obviously you have the guardians still weird to me to say, um, but I think the guardians, honestly, I think they still have a pretty solid lineup. It's good for them. It's going to come down to consistency um, and their pitching staff. If their pitching staff can carry them, they still got Shane Bieber. Um, and, you know, if they can continue to do what they can as far as consistent pitching and, you know, they still got Jose Ramirez, they still got some other guys, you know, they could compete too. But I just – I think they're missing just enough to really make them a competitor for the top spot. So right now I'd have to go to White Sox. Man, and then I'm going to go ahead and, and I'm going to go ahead and throw the Royals in there. I really am. 
I'm going to say the Royals are going to come in the two spot. I think then you got the Cleveland Guardians, and then uh, you kind of have the Twins and the Tigers kind of scrapping it out for the bottom. Yeah, I here's the thing when it when it comes to especially baseball, you cannot have too many ifs. If this if this guy hits back, if this guy stays healthy, if the bullpen comes together, too many ifs and it just doesn't work, right. you know and with a lot of these teams, I, I do feel like there are three teams that are just really in a holding pattern in that division. The Twins, we have no idea what they're doing. I mean, they they did all these moves with the lineup, and the problem was they don't have pitching. They still don't have pitching. They, you know, they traded Jose Barrios. He's with the he's with the Blue Jays now. Um, I, I just I'm just not sure what they're doing there with their pitching staff. I mean, obviously there's some guys in the lineup that can really hit. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not entirely sure what's going on there. Maybe they're just going to try to slug their way to a championship, but for them to finish last, last year was just, was shocking. You know, it's it just, no one saw, it. and this is not the first time that they've done this either. There was, um, a couple of years ago that they were supposed to be pretty good and then they just bottomed out. Um, yeah, the Tigers, I, the Tigers are kind of the same thing what the Royals are. I can absolutely see the Tigers finishing second in um, the division. They've got some really young players and these young players on teams like this, they come out of the gates hot and they try hard and they never give up because you know they're still trying to make it. And they've got some young players that are, are a lot of fun to watch. I like, uh, what is his name? Badu Badu, uh, the outfielder. Yeah, he's a really fun guy to watch. Um, and we know that they've got some good young pitchers, Casey Mize, of course. So I, I really, I, I really agree. I don't think, I don't think the guardians have what it takes to get up there. And I also think if they're even remotely close to being not great, they'll ship off more pieces mm-hmm. um, that, you know, I still wonder about Jose Ramirez. Like he's a, he's a guy that I think a lot of teams would give up a lot to get, but um, yeah, I think that the Royals and Tigers could absolutely be duking it out for second place in the division for for the Royals, I think you know. I think the best case scenario as far as them in, in the division is that clearly Bobby Witt comes up and is a superstar. They get the most out of their guys. You know, you get another big year from Salvador Perez. You get another good year from Whit Merrifield. Zach Greinke comes up and you know gets about 130, 140 innings of a three, you know, high threes, low four ERA, and the young pitchers come up. And then I mean, I know it's cliche because it's what we've seen before, but I really think that the Royals' path to success is. I think the lineup will be offensively stronger than it used to be in 2015, even though offense at that time in baseball was super suppressed. But um, I think it'll be a good lineup. You know, they've got some guys up top that will make plays. But the bullpen, I, I do think that that is definitely a strength of the team and will continue to be a strength of the team no matter what they end up doing with those young pitchers. And, I, you know, I, I don't know that they have enough to go toe-to-toe with the White Sox, but I definitely think this is the year – that and you know this kind of brings us back to what we started talking about this is the year where it starts to come together like this is i'm expecting this team to really serve after the all-star break start getting those young guys in get really excited i mean i the way that this town was whenever patrick mahomes was here it'll never be again you know in 2018 to me i knew it was full-on patrick mahomes mania when my dad who doesn't even really watch the chiefs that much he called me after the steelers game and he goes who's this guy? Who's Patrick Mahomes? And I was like, dad, they got it. Like it, it's been, it's been 40 years, but by God, we finally got him. 
Like we got the quarterback and um, you know, I think the talent is going to be that way with Bobby Witt. I, I really do. Like, I think that there's going to be a guy that we turn on our TVs and like, you know, we're just going to watch highlights and there's going to be jerseys all over and people are going to be buying, you know, uh, people are going to be buying t-shirts. It's, it's going to be mania. I don't really, it'll be, yeah, it's exciting. I am absolutely getting, I really like the new print that they have. The ones that say Kansas city, I'm getting a road grade Bobby Witt. That's it's coming. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely think that that's the path for them being the most successful. What are you overall, what are you projecting for them as a win total for this year? Ooh. Man. I want to go, I'm not going to give you an exact number, but I think I'm going to go upper 80s, honestly. And that might, that might shock you, that might, you know, be crazy, but I really think that that's a good possibility. If this and it's all, and I'm going to be 100% honest with you, it's all based on this starting pitching. I think that this, the hitters are going to compete. I really do. I think they're going to put up numbers. I don't think that what we're seeing in spring training with eight to 11 runs, heck, yesterday they put up 19, I think. I don't think that's unrealistic because these are actually guys like hitting, like truly hitting, getting on base and doing everything they're supposed to. It's going to come down to starting pitching and can they compete? I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go upper 80s, man. I really am. I think that um, my per- my prediction is, is that the team comes out of the gates, disappoints a little bit. Maybe, you know, Bobby Witt doesn't come out hitting like we all, you know, maybe he won't be a Sherlock Hall of Famer. Um, and I think that they kind of struggle a little bit in the early season. I think that they'll heat up after the All-Star break. I think that the young guys will get up here, whether it be Prado, Melendez, some of the pitchers that we've talked about. I think that they're going to be one of the hotter teams in baseball in the second half. Um, you know, they're going to be one of those teams that, like, since X date, they have the best record of baseball, mm-hmm. which will not mean much to us. And honestly, I think that if they're going to suck, they need to suck in the first half so we can continue to kind of get some more prospects in and keep this thing up and going, whether that be Zach Grinke, Carlos Santana, or like we talked about, maybe a trade that hurts, Montessi, Whit Merrifield, Salvador Perez, et cetera. Um, I'm going to put them at 80 and 84, um, two games below 500. Um, you know, that would still be a six game increase from last year. I think that that would be, I think that would definitely be enough for them to say, okay, like it's time to break out the checkbook and start adding to this team long-term. And I, I, I think that'd be really good. I think overall the American league has really kind of opened up as far as like, you know, I, I compare it to the NFL. Obviously, we cover the NFL on this podcast. The AFC is a brick house right now. And the uh, it, the NL is stacked. There are so many good, complete teams in the National League. And obviously, there's a lot of really good teams in the American League, but the Astros aren't what they used to be. The Rangers are, like, trying to build something. The Angels, for the, you know, 53rd year in a row, have two good players and no pitching, although they did throw some money at some guys this year. Um I think the Mariners could be sneaky. The Mariners yes. have got some really good young players and they've, they're a bigger market that they definitely could break out the checkbook for a couple of guys here. I think that they are like kind of what the Royals will be next year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the central doesn't have a whole lot to offer. And in the East, I think the Yankees are duct taping together some mistake. Like I think that they're going to be regretting the Garrett Cole deal pretty quickly. You know, they're already losing some of those guys, uh, that, you know, Gary Sanchez is gone. Um, I think that, you know, they're going to try to lock up Aaron Judge and they're still, they're still on the Stanton deal. 
the Blue Jays are probably the team in that division besides the Rays that worry you the most just because the Blue Jays have made some huge signings lately. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is timing all out pretty well for the Royals that, you know, next year playoffs are a realistic expectation. Yeah. You know, and can't, you can't ever rule out either. The rumor is that Jose Ramirez is going to go to the Toronto Blue Jays. If that happens to me, that just dis- diminishes a lot of what the guardians are going to be doing too. So that only helps out the Royals, man. And yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, and it's, it's tough to really compare right now because we, you know, we're not seeing the product on the field, but I think the Royals have the ability to compete against some of those top tier AL teams, you know, and we're going to see it. I, I think the White Sox can be considered one of the top tier AL teams right now, and we're going to see them compete in the division. And if the Royals can go head to head with those guys, especially with that bullpen, and, and the talent that, that Luis Roberts, Eloy Jimenez, like I mentioned, you know, the Royals are going to be special. And I'm just – I'm so excited, man. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge optimist. I always am. And But this time I just – it's it kind of – I guess how do I want to explain it? I guess it, it almost is helping aiding in itself because of what's coming. Um, and I'm just – I'm super excited for the season. I wish it just wasn't delayed. I wish we were already playing baseball. And, um, yeah, man, I'm so ready. All right, let's do like one minute of stadium talk because I can't stand talking about stadium talk. I'd literally rather have a conversation about politics, the vaccine, um, and I'm trying to think of something else like forgiving student loan debt with people than stadium talk. Just real quick, give me your 30-second blurb about where Kaufman should be, what you want to happen, and why. Uh, this is going to be easy, man. Two seconds. Keep it where it's at. That's all you need to know. Keep it where it's at. For me, that's what it is. I, I would keep it where it's at and then try to build up around it. But I think there's, for me, the nostalgia of, of Kauffman Stadium, the fountains, the the parking, the just what it's always been. I think it's not necessarily the stadiums that are an issue. I think it's just the the obscenities that are around it are is the problem. Like, Drury in across the Kaufman Stadium across 70 isn't drawing fans in. Let's just be honest. So that'd be my opinion. Real quick, too, though, if they move it downtown, it is what it is, man. I, I'd be happy either way. Um, for me, I'm, I'm like you. I, I really don't care. Yeah, my, my opinion is this, that I, I really don't care. As someone who has a Kansas City address, um, I don't live in Jackson County, but, like, I know that I will float the bill for some of this. Um, I, I personally, the things that I care most about when it comes to my sports team is keeping Patrick Mahomes happy and keeping Bobby Witt happy. Um, the rest of it, and as long as Kansas City's still on that name, you know, and Ian Rappaport tweeted the Kansas Chiefs, which was cringe. It's like a literally worse than the Donald Trump t- tweet. Congratulations to the great state of Kansas. But um, like, you know, I, to me, I think that the, the best thing to happen is that the Royals were to go downtown not so much because of what it will do for the Royals, but I think of what it will do for downtown. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, Sprint Center, T-Mobile Center was built for an NBA or an NHL team. And I don't think that those things are happening anytime soon from the way things seem. You know, maybe a WNBA team is something that's possible. But putting the stadium down, downtown, that's 81 games down there, just 81 and you build a baseball stadium, it's a one purpose thing, you know, like there's not really going to be a lot else that happens in that stadium other than that. Build that up, increase, you know, 
I, you know, I'm not sure where all the drawings are that I've seen all the places that they've projected it, but I think it would do a lot for downtown and the infrastructure down there, the public transportation system. And I agree, you know, I love being able to pull up and park and walk into the game and get out in less than 20 minutes. That's super nice. I get that. I live up here in the Northland. Like I don't live in the city, but I also understand that there's a lot more things at work. And I also think the world's moving would help the chief situation as well. Um, so they're kind of interlocked with each other, but um, that's, that's really all I have to say about that. Just because I honestly, I don't care that much. If the world stay there, I'm not going to, I'm not going to freak out. And I'm also not going to freak out if I have to park at the river and take the streetcar. You know, I, I haven't ridden the streetcar yet. So maybe that'd be something cool for me to do. So I, I just, for me real quick too, though, I just hope that they kind of replicate, if they do build a downtown, try to replicate and incorporate some of what Kansas City is all about. I don't know if you've seen the renderings of what they're kind of making up. Man, they look awful, absolutely god awful. And I think that's been the worst part. And a and a turnoff for me is they, it just looks like you know the Monarch Stadium in a way. Like there's no excitement to going into the stadium. So I just hope they really take that into consideration. I, I completely agree. I'm someone pointed that out to me because I was looking at the drawings and thinking that they're really cool. But like there definitely has to be like fountains incorporated or the crown vision or something like that. Completely agree with all that. And I, you know, like there's, I mean, you look at the Chargers and Rams new stadium or like what the Braves have. Um, and like I'm not concerned about it, you know. Like so I think so many people are so worried about what we have right now and not thinking towards the future. And that and that goes for the Chiefs stadium as well. Like, don't be afraid of a roof. Like it's I promise. They can open the roof if they want to do a retractable roof or whatever. Like, let's get a Super Bowl here. Let's get the NFL combine here. Think of think of what this can mean for the community so much more. Or you want to put a Final Four in the NFL stadium, you could absolutely do that. You know, Sprint Center's not holding a Final Four. So, um, but yeah, Lucas, we super appreciate it. You are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the Royals. Uh, we are all subscribing to the Royals Rundown podcast. We're all yeah. going to be reading your work at the beat of KC. Um, if you're not already, please make sure that you're following at the beat of KC where you can find Lucas's stuff. We will be tweeting through the Royals games as always. Um, and we are much more excited about every Royals game than Denny Matthews is, who seems to hate his job, even though he has like the best job in the world. So, uh, but Lucas, we appreciate it, man. And uh, as always, thanks for listening to not just another sports podcast.